Thank you for joining us this morning today. It is, uh, it is awesome to come to church and be able to worship God together. I don't know how many of you guys have had an opportunity to either serve or work at a youth camp before. Maybe you have kids and you have sent them at a youth camp. But from my experience, I have always noticed that there's one thing that is, t- that is hard to find in youth retreats or youth camps. And it's common sense. For whatever reason... We don't have people, it's hard to find common sense. If you have kids in the youth here in Marinata, we do have common sense, so don't worry. We, we, you know, at least we try sometimes. Anyways, common sense is not typically there. And many will ask, like, you, you, as, you know, there's, you try to figure out why you don't have common sense. And I have come to my own conclusion that the reason why many of us don't have common sense when we are working or participating or doing something at a youth camp is because we want to look cool to the campers. This is like the only time in life that we're going to have a shot at being a celebrity or at being famous among campers. I mean, there's something special when you have 13-year-old kids just screaming your name when you're walking around, right? Not, not really, but that's what you think. So you do things, you do whatever it takes to make sure that they think that you're cool. A few years back, I had the privilege to work at a camp, and my job was to host activities. And when we would host activities, it was our responsibility to make sure that they were exciting, that kids would like to do them, that kids would get and participate. So we would have to do creative stuff. It was one of my responsibilities to, uh, we had to record a video every day where we would be announcing the activities of the day. Now, because you're doing a youth camp, you have to do these videos. These videos have to be creative. So we would come up with things that we have never done. This particular day, I show up to record the video, and my boss had come up with this sketchy platform. It was the most sketchy thing I've ever seen. It was like a piece, a big piece of wood. I don't even know what it's called, but it was about this hot, this high. And he had uh, some chairs that they took from, probably from their dining room, and they drilled it into that wood. And then they got an old seat car seat belt, and they drilled it to the wood. And the point of it was to hold me and my friend upside down. So I actually have a picture of that. What kind of would it look like? Now, when you see that picture, I want to clear out two things. Yes, I did have long blonde hair. And two, that's not my friend. That's not my brother. He's my friend. He's not my brother. So don't think he's my brother. Uh, but no, I really didn't have long blonde hair. But I wish I did. That would be cool. Wouldn't be a pastor though. Anyways, uh, so you see here in this picture, the way we would do it, we would record the video. And believe it or not, we're hanging upside down. And you can see the little, like, seed bell. It was super sketchy. It required a lot of us to trust into this, you know, project that my boss built, especially because we were big guys. And, you know, to trust this little thing to hold us together, it, it required a lot of faith. But anyways, as we would record this video, when we would play to the students, it didn't look like we were facing upside down. It looked like this. And to then, unless they were paying attention to what we were doing, they couldn't tell we were facing upside down. But the more they watch us, the more they observe us, the more they look at our actions and the things that we were saying, they could tell that something was off. They could tell that we were facing upside down. In the book of Thessalonians, you see a a church here, believers in Thessalonica, that they started to have a reputation among their countrymen. People were looking at them, and although at first glance or a distance, they didn't look like something was off. The more they got to know them, the more they got to hear them talk, they could tell that something was off. And so if you go to the book of Acts chapter 17, it is said of these believers that these believers were turning the world upside down because they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. 
There was something different. In a culture where it entice, entice the people to be selfish, in a culture that entice people to follow their desires, these believers were beyond that. They were more concerned about each other. They were more concerned, uh, sorry, they were more concerned about others. They were more concerned about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. That the gospel of Jesus is the only thing that can fully satisfy you. That if the gospel of Jesus is the only thing that you can give you abundant life. And this was the message that they went on to proclaim over and over to the point that they gained the reputation that they were believers, that they were turning the world upside down. Now, if this is true, if this is true about these believers, then shouldn't we desire to have the same reputation? Shouldn't we as Christians desire to be known as believers that is turning this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus? And if so, how can we learn from them who have that reputation? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at uh, some observations of things that they are doing that gave them the, the, the reputation of turning the world upside down. And the goal is that at the end of the service, we can recognize those things and we will be challenged to accept them and to apply them in our lives so that we will be known as believers that are turning this world upside down. So if you have your Bibles, join me as we go in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to start reading in verse 6. It says, but now that Timothy has come up to us from you and has brought us the good, the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been confronted, comforted about you, about you through your faith. The first thing I want us to see here, the first observation, is that these believers in Thessalonica, they had genuine love for each other. They love each other. They prioritize each other. You see, if I'm going to read to you verse 5, just kind of to set the context of what's happening here. You see in verse 5, Paul says, For this reason, when I could bury no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter has tempted you out of, and our labor will be in vain. Paul, in, throughout the letter of Thessalonians, you can see that he is devoted, he, is, he loved his people, he's committed to them. This church, these believers in Thessalonica were special to him. But the, the city of Thessalonica, had, they were dealing with stuff there. They were dealing with persecution, but also a culture that was persuading them to take in their eyes from Jesus. So, so, so Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's consumed, he's worried, he's anxious to, because he thinks that the, he's afraid that the culture or Satan will go ahead and turn the, this believer's eyes at, from Jesus. That they will turn their attention away from Jesus. If you were here last week, Pastor Bruce talked about this sabotage, how they were trying to sabotage the faith, their faith. And that's why Paul is so concerned, he's so worried that that was going to be the case. If you are either being a pastor or you had been a you or you know you work in a church and somehow or you have led someone to the Lord or you even with your kids, when you know that someone that you have invested towards, you know that they're walking away from the Lord and you know that they're doing their own things, it kind of gets to you. You get worried. You want to know what's happening. You want to reach out to them. You want to make sure to follow up with them. Sadly, back then it was not like now where we can just text or call or or you know. Go on Facebook or Instagram. Back then, Paul had to send someone to be able to get a report. And you see here that in the report that Paul hears, there are two things I want to point out. The first thing is that when he heard 
the news, he says it was a good news to us. The word that he used here for good news is the same word we use when we talk about the gospel of Jesus. For Paul, the fact that he was able to hear the news that not only they were standing firm, that they were doing well in their faith, but also that they were longing to see Paul just as much as Paul wanted to see them was refreshing to Paul. He loved that. It encouraged him. And then the other thing that I want to point out is that he, he talks about their love for Paul. That when he uses the word love here, it's the same word we use for the, it's the word agape, which means the kind of love that you have for God and us. A selfless love. A love that shoots others. A love that is more about the other individual than it is about yourself. And you see here in this letter, if you read it and you read what these believers were doing, you can see that they had a genuine love for each other. That even though the culture in Thessalonica was a culture that enticed them to turn their attention to themselves, that even though it was a culture that it was all about individualistic focus, you see here a church, believers, that love each other. In, in, in the book of John chapter uh, John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, says to his disciple, for this you'll know, people will know that you're my disciple, that you love one another. There's something special about loving each other. To the point that love, it is a distinctive declaration of the gospel of Jesus. The, the love, you loving someone else, you choosing someone else before yourself, you really caring for someone else before yourself, it is a distinctive declaration of the gospel of Jesus. By this, we will know that you are a disciple, that you love one another. And what we see here in Thessalonica, we see a church that was committed in loving one another. And so when you think about the image of turning this world upside down, you can see that one of the reasons why they were able to turn the world upside down is because they were loving one another. If we really want to be a church, if we really want to be believers that are turning this world upside down, we have to love one another. What does that mean? That means that if there's gossip among you, you got to get rid of it. It means that if you have complaints or strife or, or hatred over another believer, it means that you have to get rid of that. It means that if for now, maybe for the first time in your life, you have to start caring for others than yourself. It may mean that if you see a need around you in the church and even in your neighborhoods and your areas, if you see a need, you don't wait for someone else to feel it. You take it upon yourself. If we really want to be a church, if we really want to be believers that are turning this world upside down, we have to start loving each other. We have to love one another better. By this, they'll know that we're his disciple by loving one another. The second observation we see here is in verse 8. He's, Paul says, for now we leave if you're standing fast in the Lord. The observation here is that they were standing firm against the persuasiveness and persecution of their culture. Paul is saying to them, hey, if you read the letter and you know what's happening, Paul had to take a very difficult journey. Typically, when he will plant a church, he will spend appropriate time to train them and to coach them and to show them the ropes of Christianity. With, Thessalonica, with the church in Thessalonica, it was not the case. Because of persecution and because people were rounding up against Paul and Silas, they had to leave right away. And Paul, like we talk about being so devoted, so consumed by this church, he, had, he was worried for them to the point that he was distressed and he had affliction. That's what we just read in verse 7. And here in verse 8, Paul saying, the news that you guys are standing firm has brought us life. It has energized us. Paul, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his 
you know, anxiety and stress to hear that someone else that he has invested, that someone else that was younger in the faith that he was, was doing better or was doing well, it encouraged him to be able to continue in his journey. He was standing firm, they were standing firm against the persuasiveness and the persecution of their culture. The Greek culture at the time was a, Greek, was a culture that elevated the pursuit of self. It was a culture that, that elevated the uh, knowledge. It elevated you following your desires. That's why the majority of the philosophers that we know in, in history come from Greece. The, the most renowned ones come from Greece because that was all that they were about. And in addition to that, it was a culture that it was immersed in paganism. It means that they had idols left and right. They had every reason to say or to be persuaded away from their belief. They could have had every reason or anything could have happened for them to not be standing firm in the Lord. They could have said to Paul, hey, Paul, you know what? In the report that you're going to get from Timothy, just know that the reason why we were not standing firm is because we're, we don't really know a whole lot about Christianity. Paul, just so you know, the reason why we're not standing firm is because we're newer in the faith. Because we don't know what to do. And persecution is coming. Paul, we want you to know that the persecution that is happening, it kind of has us scared. So that's why we're not going to do this or do that. They could have said those things. But what you see here in verse 8 is that their, their report that Paul is getting is that they're standing firm against the persecution and against the persuasiveness of the world. I remember when I was six years old. I was back in the Dominican Republic, and we got to witness, I got to witness firsthand a Hurricane Category 4. Yeah, Hurricane Category 4. Nailed it. And I remember seeing it, and I remember that it was a very scary sight. It was, there was wind. The wind was so strong. It was so loud. Water was just coming in our house. We had a bucket, and we were trying to get the water out of the house. My mom had a broom, and she's kicking it out, like she was kicking it, sweeping it out of the house. It didn't work, but we were still doing it. We had no power. It was a scary sight, and I remember that while it was happening, there was a crack in our window that I was trying to peek in as a six-year-old, and I have never forgotten. There was a tree that was a very distant, it was taller than me. It was a distant side tree. It was a tree that you could, you know, we will, I will used to climb to hang out and do what and whatnot. And I remember that, that in the moment of that hurricane, it just happened that when I was looking through that window, the winds were so strong that it plucked the tree out of the ground and it went flying. Adios, see you later, you know. It's like gone. There goes my climbing tree. But it was an image that I have never forgotten. Because the, the tree, the roots were not so deep into the ground that when the persuasive, well, not the persuasive, when the wind came, it moved them, it took it away. In the same way, if we're not established in solid ground, we're not going to be able to withstand the persecutions or the persuasiveness of this world. If we're not, if we're not certain in which ground we're standing, we're going to be easily moved. And last year has been, a, this past year has been an indication of that. That there's going to be things that are going to come at us left and right unexpectedly. That if we're not standing on solid ground, we're going to be easily moved. We're going to be persuaded to take our eyes from Jesus and to look at other things. And that's why you see here, or you see in the letter of Colossians, you see in the letter of Colossians that Paul is going to say to the people, to the believers, they're say, hey, you guys need to be rooted in the word of God. 
you and I, if we really want to be a church that is turning this world upside down, we got to get ourselves rooted in, this, in the word of God. we got to take it diligently. We have to be committed to get our roots so deep into this word, so deep that when the world come at us with persuasiveness, persecutions, we may not deal with persecutions, but we may deal with circumstances that when they come our way, we're not easily moved, that we are standing firm, just like the people in Thessalonica were. That is one challenge that we, need to, we have to consider. The third observation we see here, it's not only that they had a genuine love for others, it's not that they were standing firm, not only that they were standing firm against the Lord, against the Lord, against the persuasion and persecution of the culture, but that they also had a good testimony despite their maturity. They had a good testimony. These believers were new believers in the faith, like we talked about already. Paul will typically spend time in a church, and he will spend time training them. He will spend time coaching them the robes of Christianity. However, because of the circumstances that they endure in Thessalonica, Paul was not able to do that with them. So let's read what he says here in verse 9. In verse 9, he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. You see here Paul is doing two things in this rhetorical question. There are two things he's pointing out. He's pointing out, one, that there is not enough time. There's not going to be enough time for him to thank God for the things that he has done in the people of Thessalonica. There's not enough times that Paul can say, thank you, God, for what you have done through the people in Thessalonica. But the other thing he's doing is that he's acknowledging that they still need more growth, that they still need more equipping, that they still need more opportunities to grow. You see, it is a sign of, it is a sign of us as believers that we will never be able to come to a point in our life where we're done with being equipped. Pastor Craig just shared, even the equipers, 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 those that, need, that equip need to be equipped, all right? So we will never reach to a point in our life where we had enough equipping. We need more. And the believers in Thessalonica, although they were doing great in their faith, although Paul had many reasons to be thankful, they still require more equipping. But there is something interesting about the believers in Thessalonica. One of the reasons why I think they were being, they were being so good in, in, in turning the world upside down is, is that although they were new in the faith, although they were, mat, not, they were not so mature in the faith, they were doing whatever it takes to be of a good testimony. You see, they could have had every excuse, every reason as to why they're not going to be serving or, or, or being of a good testimony. They could have said whatever. They could have said, hey, Paul. Sorry that we're not really going outside and sharing the gospel of Jesus to others. Sorry because we don't really know much about the Bible. God, I, I mean, Paul, I know that we're called to be the salt and the, and the light of the world, but I'm not really going to do that right. We, we really don't feel comfortable doing right now because what if someone comes and talks to us about God and we don't have an answer? God, I mean, Paul, I'm sorry, but this persecution is so tough. Our circumstances right now are so tough. And I don't really know how to deal with them, so I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to wait for them to go away. They could have come up with excuses as to why they were not being of a good testimony. 
But what you see in the report that Paul is getting from Timothy is that their believers in Thessalonica, they were doing everything that they could to turn this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus. And this is what we have to realize. We have to realize that there will never be a sufficient excuse as to why a believer does not have a good testimony towards others. We have to understand that. There's never going to come a point in our life, in your life, in my life, where you and I can justify why we're not being of a good testimony to others. There's never going to be. Your circumstances, it's not an excuse. Your comfort, it's not an excuse. Your finances, it's not an excuse. You could go on on the list and and you will see that there's never going to be an excuse that is justifiable as to why you're not being of a good testimony to non-believers and to others. If we really want to be a church that is turning this world upside down, we have to do whatever it takes so that we can be of good testimony. Go out without excuse, knowing that there's nothing that we can say or not do because we are here to be a light and a salt to this world. The believers in Thessalonica, they were doing that. They were turning the world upside down. How are we turning the world upside down is the question. Are, you, are we believers that we're looking for excuses to not do something for God? When our circumstances get tough, you think about COVID, what COVID has generated, what COVID has allowed in your life. Do you use that as an excuse as to why you're not going out and being a, a good example or being of a testimony to someone else? Are you allowing your finances? Maybe you have been hit lately with your finances and that's why you're not feel comfortable going out and being of a blessing to someone. Are you looking for excuses as to why you're not serving God? If you are, then you have to recognize that those excuses will never be justified. We are called to be a light and a soul to this world. And this is what the people in Thessalonica were doing. The fourth observation we see here is in verse 11. In the letter of Thessalonians, Paul is going to, He's going to, in the first two chapters, he's kind of like commending, commending the believers. He's encouraging them. He's saying to them, hey, you guys have done well. You guys did this and that. And you guys, you know, pray, like, praise God for what God is doing through you. In chapter 3, uh, Paul is going to start to switch gears here where he's going to show them, hey, these are things you're doing well. But let me, take a, let me pray for you guys. Let me pray for growth because in the next two chapters, we're going to deal with areas in your life that you need to grow. So right here in the verses 11 to 13, Paul is going to pray for them for growth. And we have to realize that if we want to be a church, if we want to be believers that are turning this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus, we have to recognize that spiritual growth is necessary. Spiritual growth, it is necessary for us. Look what it says in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, for all, as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless and in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul here is praying for three, three things. He's praying for, for them to grow in their love for one another. 
He is praying that they will stand blamelessly before God. And with that word blamelessly, what it means is that they were not, that, that it's not that they're without sin, because we know that's impossible, but it is that when they sin, or if they were to sin, that they would deal with it accordingly. But more than that, that they would live a life that is honoring to God. That if your life, if you live a life that is honoring to God, then you're standing blamelessly before God. And lastly, that they will look forward to the return of Jesus. That they will look forward to the to the return of Jesus. So Paul is praying for those three things in their life. I, uh, last year, we, uh, we, my wife and I were having people over our house from a small group to come and uh, do, do a bonfire at our house. Now, believe it or not, it might come as a surprise to many of you, I'm not a handyman. I'm not. In fact, I like to wear Carhartt hoodies and stuff because it makes me feel more like a man. Even though I, I shouldn't wear them. Uh, but I do. I do like they're comfy and they make me look like I'm manly when I'm, you know, you know. anyways. <laughs> can't even change the tire. But anyways, uh, here in, in our house, we were having people over to, to, to do a bonfire. And I call it whether I'm a city boy or I'm demanding or whatever you want to call it, you call it. I don't know how to make a bonfire. So I YouTube it. I really did. I got on YouTube and I go, how to turn a fire, a bonfire. Because I wanted for this particular time that our fire pit will be set. I wanted that when they show up, they'll look at the fire and they will be proud of me. They, they, they wouldn't know that, but I, I would want it to be proud. So I go on YouTube it. And I did every little step that YouTube did, that YouTube, YouTube told me to do. And I started the fire and nothing happened. No fire. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, this is embarrassing. Like, I have middle schoolers that know how to turn a fire, and I'm 20 years old, and I don't even know how to do it myself. Like, I'm a failure in life. What I like, you know, anyways, uh, babe, don't look at me. Uh, uh, anyway, so then I, I went into the garage, and I grabbed a can of gasoline. I thought, well, if this is not going to work, then this is going to work. So I grabbed the gas of gasoline, I walked to the, to the fire, and I just, we did one of these. And I put a significant amount. I just thought, you know, maybe need more because I want the wood to get fire up and, you know, all this stuff. And I did this. And when I turned that fire on, it just, woof. Like this. I mean, I am proud. I'm like looking at babe, babe, I need another car her hoodie. Like, let's go. Because this thing right here was a, I mean, it was a big fire. But soon I noticed that in matters of seconds, that fire started coming down, 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 lower, 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 to the point that there was a barely a fire on the pit. It was not, you could barely see it. And there was a lesson there. If you are someone that you have trust in Jesus as your Savior, if you have belief in the gospel at one point in your life, if you go back in memory lane with me, think about that day when you make the decision. Think about the day when you finally understood what took place on the cross. Where Jesus took the, the, your, your guilt, your mistakes, your shame, your, your, uh, your sins on the cross for your sake. When he did that so that you could have a relationship with him. Where he did that so that you could, like we have right here in the, in, the, in, the, in the wall, so that you can have life in abundance. We did this, he did this thing for us. And you remember, go back in memory lane, what it felt when you believed that, when you, when you understood that. When you understood the kind of deliberating, that he, that, the, the, the kind of deliverance that took place in that cross. Where now you are not longer a slave to sin. Where now you have freedom from sin. Where now you have purpose. Where now you understand what it's like to be alive. And for some of us here, for some of you here, you may not have experienced that. If you don't know the gospel, if you have never experienced abundant in life, it's only going to come through the gospel. And I encourage you 
that, that, that you will really consider that. Because you will never find anything more satisfying, anything more purposeful, anything more life-changing than the gospel of Jesus. And it, it, the sooner you really, uh, you really realize that, the better it will be for you. But if you go back in memory lane with me, and you think back on when you made the decision, you can, remember, you can see how you were on fire for the Lord. You can see how just like that fire, you were doing everything. You, you could not wait to tell people about the gospel. You would go home and you want to tell your parents, you want to tell your cousins, you want to tell your neighbors, named Sally, you want to tell everybody about the gospel of Jesus. You wanted to get involved in the church, you wanted to serve the church, you wanted to get invested, do something. You were, do, you were on fire for the Lord. But the longer your relationship with, with God has been, if you have not been careful in putting, putting uh, wood in the fire, you can see how that relationship or that fire has diminished slower and slower. The prayer that we see here in Thessalonica, or that we see here in Thessalonians, it's not a prayer that Paul is praying because they were lacking on those three things. We know that these believers were already loving one another. We know that these believers were already doing whatever they can to be blame, blamelessly against a culture that will force them to do otherwise. And we see here in the book of Thessalonians that they were already hoping, they were putting their trust in the return of Jesus. But yet, there was still growth that needed to take place. As believers, we have to recognize that. Every single believer must pray and desire and continual growth in their love for one another and staying blamelessly in their hope and expectation of the return of Jesus. We have to recognize that. We, you and I, need to continue to love, need to continue to grow in our love for others. We need to continue to grow in making sure that in our growing, we're staying blamelessly before God. And we need to make sure that we're placing our hope and dreams and, and faith not in this world, not in what this world has to offer or in our circumstances or in our struggles, but that we're placing it on the fact that Jesus is one day coming back. That is why we end every service here on Sunday with the saying, good morning and Maranatha. Maranatha means, Lord, please come. We want it to be a constant reminder that we know that Jesus is coming back. And whether you're ready for his return or not, he's coming back. And if you're ready, that's something to look forward. And if, if you're not ready, that's something to be afraid or scared. So you better want to, you want to get that going. But here, as believers, if we want to be a church that is turning this world upside down, we have to make sure that we're praying and that we're seeking to continue to grow in our life. Grow is necessary. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You still need to continue to grow. So here's the challenge. I want you guys to ask yourself this question. How are you turning the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus? If this is said of the believers of Thessalonica, could this be said about you? Are you someone that you're turning the world upside down for Jesus? And how? Is it, if, if the answer is no, what areas of your life do you need to work? Is it that you need to remind yourself that you have to love others? That it's time for you to start caring for others more than you have? Maybe you have gone through a patch where you have reasons that, that some may say they're arguable, where you have to choose yourself because of your circumstances. Is it time now that you turn your attention away from you and start focusing on others? Is it time for you to recognize that there will never be an excuse that you can use to justify why you're not being of a good testimony to others? Is it time for you to, to pray and to ask God daily to remind yourself that you need to grow in some areas of your life? 
and pray, God, that he will identify to you what those areas are so that you can go ahead and pray and ask for growth? Is that what we need? In what ways are you turning the world upside down for Jesus? The hope is, the hope is, is that one day when people look at Maranatha Baba Church, they will say that the believers of Maranatha are turning the world upside down for Jesus. That when people go, when you leave today and you go to Green, to Green or your neighborhood, that people will say, yeah, there are people in Green that are turning the world upside down because of the gospel of Jesus. That when you go to Springfield, to Coventry, wherever you're from, that wherever you go back to your, to your school, to your work, to your uh, ministry, wherever you're at, that people can identify you as someone that is turning this world upside down for Jesus. I hope that that's a prayer. And I hope that that's something that you desire to be said about you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, I pray that the example of the church of Thessalonica will be an example that we will take upon ourselves. That we will be a church. That we will be individuals. That we will do whatever it takes, Lord, to, be, to, to, to live a life that is honoring to you and that is glorifying to you. Lord, that we will be willing to do whatever it takes to turn this world upside down with your gospel. And Lord, I pray that you will help us, that you will give us boldness and commitment, Lord, to be able to do that, Lord. We pray this in your awesome name. Amen.